I remember um, <clears throat> the very first time that I met Ginny. Not our first date, that's not what I'm talking about, um, but the uh, very first time I met her. I don't remember the specific date, I remember the event. Uh, we were both at a party at our friend's home. Um, I was friends with Clayton Kaufman, was his name, and he had his sister Amy. Amy was about maybe 18 months or so younger than Clayton. And so it was real convenient for us that Amy would have girlfriends that were, you know, about 18 months younger than us. Uh, that was really handy. And it came in real handy at this uh, party that was at their house. And that's where I met uh, Ginny for the very first time. Um, this was not, at, at that time when I met her, it was not quite a year after her mom had died. Uh, Ginny's mom passed away when she was a freshman in high school. And uh, this was not quite a year uh, after that had happened for her. She was a sophomore in high school at this time. I was a senior in high school. Now, we went to the same high school, but I never saw her in high school ever. Um, there were over 6,000 students in our high school, so it was pretty easy not to see everybody, as you could imagine. Um, not only were there over 6,000 students, we went on what was called a split shift uh, to high school because, um, well, because we had that many students. You either went from 7 a.m. till noon or you went from noon till 5. Uh, no lunch, no study halls, nothing. You just That's how you went. So I, I never actually saw her in high school, uh, but I met her there at Clayton and Amy's house that night. And uh, we talked quite a bit. We talked a long time. I have no idea what the conversation was about. Uh, you know, I, st I still couldn't tell you. I can tell you that I learned some things about her. What I learned about her um, is that I was attracted to her. I was attracted to her physically. That was quite easy for me. But I was also attracted to her personality and to the, the uh, well, girl at that point, um, you know, that she was as a, as a person. I drove her home that night. Um, things were, you know, her home life after uh, her mom passed away in particular um, wasn't, wasn't good. Um, her, she was, Jenny had been adopted and she was raised by her stepdad then. Uh, he was an alcoholic and uh, uh, after his wife died, as you can imagine, he plunged deeper into that and uh, her maternal grandmother moved into the home with them for a while, and that did not go well at all uh, on many levels. Uh, and um, uh, Jenny was a little nervous and about getting home, so I drove her home that night. It wasn't a long drive. She really only lived uh, just maybe five, six blocks down uh, from Clayton and Amy's house where we were at. Uh, and I remember I drove her home, and... Uh, didn't see her again for about a year and a half. I mean, just we just we we both went on with our life. Uh, you know, I graduated high school. She continued on in high school. We both dated other people. We were dating other people. Like I said, we didn't even see each other uh, other than that one night when we met. And then on Saturday, this date I do remember, Saturday, March seventeenth of nineteen seventy three. Uh, don't be impressed. It was St. Patrick's Day, so it's easier to remember. Uh, just got to be, you know, full disclosure here. Uh, we ran into each other again at Clayton and Amy's house, uh, as it were, and we had an unplanned date that night. 
uh, you know, it wasn't anything that she and I planned at all. Um, but we had an, undate, an unplanned date that night, and it went well. I would say it went uh, very well. Uh, we had another impromptu date the very next day, and uh, that went very well as well. <clears throat> we had done, you know, we continued doing a lot of talking. Uh, she didn't have her driver's license, and her dad had a Buick Electra 225. Some of you, you know, know what that is. It's a big boat of a car is what it is. And, uh, you know, Ginny being that little thing that she is, I just didn't see how it was going to make sense for her to be able to take the driving test in that car. So I told her, I said, well, you know, I had a, uh, don't look down on me. I had a Chevy Vega. It was before we knew. Hey, it was before we knew. It was before we knew about the Chevy Vega. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, it was, brand, I bought the car brand new. And I said, you know, it'd be much easier for you to take the test in this car. So, you know, I'll let you drive the car. You get familiar with it. And then, um, you know, you can go take the test. So. Uh, the next weekend, the weekend after this first date and second date, um, I was out with, we were, I was letting her drive my car. And, um, uh, you know, I, it, it, like I said, I had purchased it brand new uh, less than a year before that. And um, the uh, drive ended when she hit a tree. Um, that was after she turned in front of another car, which clipped the back end of the car. Uh, I told her as I looked up, it was on a curve, the S-curve, and as I looked up and I saw this car coming toward us, I said, step on it, which she did. Uh, she stepped on it, and as she stepped on it, we were going around the corner. This car hit us literally only about this much you know, in the back of the car. Well, you know what happens if you ever watch any stock car races when something gets hit that close to the rear end and they're going fast, it spun us around and Ginny was still stepping on it. <laughs> and the tree put an end to the stepping on it. And so here we were. Um, and at that point, I really didn't know if I'd ever see this girl again. I remember sitting there thinking, you idiot. You'll probably never see this girl again. And uh, so there I was watching my brand new car go off, you know, in the back of a tow truck. And uh, we were going off in the back of a police car. Remember, I told you she didn't have a driver's license. And I was letting a minor drive my car, a minor who didn't have a driver's license. And so we had to go to the police station so her dad could come and uh, pick us up from there. And, um, you know, we had another unplanned date that evening. Uh, I, I took her to see, we went, it was a group of us, uh, we went to see French Connection, if any of you ever saw French Connection. And there's a chase scene in there where they totally demolished this car. And as they're doing that, she looks over at me with this sad look on her face. And I milked it for all I could. And it was really through that shared experience of wrecking my car that uh, we both saw each other in a way that we hadn't before. Uh, it was really like we kind of saw each other for the first time. By the time that weekend was over, um, we were really done dating other people. Along the way, we got married, 
had three kids and moved to Fort Wayne. Uh, there's the condensed version of the last 46 years of my life uh, for you, you know, and I have never been sorry about having a relationship with Ginny. I have never been sorry about that. It's just, you know, it, um, you know, but it really all started way back at that very first time that I saw her and talked to her. You know, now, there was quite a delay in between meeting her and realizing that this was somebody I wanted to have a relationship with, uh, you know, a, a serious relationship with. There was a, you know, a time span in between that first meeting and really then kind of seeing her for the first time all over again. That first time I met her opened the door, but, you know, really handling to want a relationship with her came, you know, it came later. And it's a relationship that has changed my life for better in every way. Uh, you know, in every way that there is. She has changed my life for the better. My life has never been the same again. Now, I thought about that. That's, that's what came to my mind as I was working on this sermon. And I was thinking about this sermon and looking at the verses uh, that we're going to be looking at. The very first time that some of Jesus' disciples met him. And then knowing the way their lives were changed. Let's pray and we're going to look at these verses of his first encounter with some of them. Father, I thank you for the way you work in our life. I thank you for the people that you bring into our lives. Some have just a radical impact for good. I thank you. Ginny is one of them, certainly. But you've brought others into my life, too, who have had a radical impact in helping me to see you and to know you. And Father, the impact that Jesus Christ has had on my life. I just cannot thank you enough. I pray that you would open our minds and hearts to you today. That your word would become so real and so alive that we would see you again, maybe like it was for the first time. That we would be drawn deeper into a walk with you, into a relationship with you. That you would continue that transforming work and power in us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. We're going to be in John chapter 1, if you want to turn there. The uh, verses we're going to look at, we're going to look at them in three sections. You see it says 29 to 51. I'm not going to read them all at once. We're going to look at them in three sections. It kind of breaks down naturally uh, that way. It covers three different days. Uh, That'll become apparent to you as we go. Now, this is really at the beginning of Jesus' relationship with some of his disciples. John really records an earlier part of Jesus' ministry than you see in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In many ways, now you say Matthew, Mark, and Luke begin with Jesus' birth. How can you get any earlier than that? Well, because John says in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. He starts out, you know, even looking at it that from an earlier perspective. But here, this, his interaction with the disciples, this is a much earlier perspective than you get in some of the other some of the other Gospels. Now, in the section just previous to the ones we're looking at, uh, this is where John the Baptist, without baptizing, some of the Jewish leaders and officials came and, and interrogated him a little bit about that. They asked him who he was. That, that that was their responsibility. Their responsibility was to investigate these religious guys who came along. They asked him if he was the Messiah. He said clearly that he was not the Messiah. They asked him then if he was the prophet or if he was the returned Elijah. These were all the people that they were looking for and as they were expecting the Messiah. Um, and these verses pick up after that interaction. Verse 29. 
says the next day after that interaction, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one I told you about. After me comes a man who has surpassed me because he has existed before me. I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I watched the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove and rested on him. I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me, the one you see the Spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that he is the Son of God. Now we're going to pause there uh, because you see the very next verse says, then the next day, so that's how we're kind of breaking this down. Uh, The Gospel of John doesn't give much about the account of Jesus' baptism. That's really revealed more in uh, Matthew and Mark, uh, you know, about his baptism. But John tells us here a little bit the account of what he saw. He tells us that when Jesus came to be baptized, uh, Jesus, well, Jesus remarked in, or, uh, John remarked to Jesus, as recorded in the other Gospels, he said, uh, you know, Jesus is coming to him. He says, I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should be the one baptizing me. You know, th- that was one of the comments there. And, um, but these, you know, then it talks about the Spirit coming and descending. And these verses very quickly then pick up on the day after the Jewish officials questioned John the Baptist to see if he was the Messiah. Jesus is walking John's way, and here it says John identifies him, and notice how he identifies him. He identifies him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is a very loaded term to a Jewish ear. To call him the Lamb of God was a very loaded term. We look at it from a Christian perspective and we say, yeah, he was the Lamb of God. But we have to look at it also, even in a Christian's perspective, we're looking at it through Jewish eyes a little bit. And to them, it was a very loaded term. Now, think of this as as, as I was looking at this passage. John the Baptist is here. He's the son of a Jewish priest, if you recall. And as the son of a Jewish priest, he would have been quite familiar with the sacrifices that were made. And some of the sacrifices that were made daily, there was a morning and an evening sacrifice made for the sins of the people every day in the temple. And he would have been very familiar with that. There was also the annual sacrifice of the Passover lamb by each family. Whereas before, you know, as the ones that were made every day in the morning and the evening was more of a corporate thing. You know, that was made for the sins of the people, you know, in, in kind of a general, uh, general type of thing. The Passover lamb then was the one that was made very specifically for each family. As each family then would bring that lamb to the temple. And that lamb, this lamb that, 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 in theory, they had, they raised, was then sacrificed for them. And it would be that, that, picture of them when he says here comes the lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world that would have been newer for them because you see no longer was it just israel in view when they thought of the lamb and the passover lamb they were thinking very specifically of that of that jewish feast of passover which was remembering when when the the the, um, Doorposts and lentil were marked with the blood of that lamb. 
So that is, Moses had, had, had told, you know, Pharaoh that needing to let his people go and God's judgment was coming and here was God's judgment was going to come except to those homes that were marked with the blood of the lamb. And every year they would remember that. They would remember it, how seriously they, they took it. I don't, I, I don't know. I'm supposing some of them, uh, you know, it was just a religious practice that they did. But I also think that for some of them, they took it very seriously. But here now he was saying that he took, he was taking away the sins of the world, no longer just Israel in view. You see, payment for sin was now available to all. There would no longer be any exclusions. There would no longer be a wrong heritage. It would no longer be a wrong lineage. It's no longer that they were from the wrong side of the tracks. No longer that they were Gentiles. That, this, this, that he was coming and he was taking away the sins of the world. Now, while it's available to all, we need to remember that all will not accept that offer. This is not, well, now everyone will be forgiven. That is not what this is. This is not universalism where, you know, well, he died for everyone and so everyone's going to be forgiven. That's, that's not what it is at all. What this is, is the opportunity not to be left out. This is, this opens the opportunity for everyone to be forgiven. This opens that opportunity for everyone to have a relationship with Christ. It comes, you know, that they have the opportunity to embrace the real Christ. In verse 31, John says, I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. Now, John the Baptist and Jesus were cousins. How do you know that? Well, it's easy because Mary and Elizabeth were cousins, and so they were I don't know if you call it second cousins or whatever. You can straighten me out later on it, and I really don't care. They were they were cousins, you see. They were related. So it's not that it, what John is not saying here, he doesn't say that he never met Jesus. Understand what he's talking about. What John is saying that at Jesus' baptism, he saw for the first time that Jesus is the Messiah that he had been waiting for. What he's, what's really coming off where he says, I didn't know him. He said, you know, I, I, I saw him. He could have, he could have said, I saw him my whole life, but I didn't really know him. I didn't really, I didn't realize that it was a Messiah. I didn't realize that this is who he is. And, you know, we say, well, some people will say, well, didn't he have any, you know, didn't he have an inclination? I mean, we just saying, no crying he makes. You have this baby that doesn't cry. Don't get your theology from, from songs. Okay. Just, just don't do that. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure that I would say Jesus probably led an exemplary life where people would say, he's a good boy, you know. Uh, you know and I'm, I'm sure that was part of it, uh, you know, but the, the reality is that, that, you know, John, his own cousin, didn't know him, didn't recognize him, didn't come to embrace the real Christ because he didn't realize that's who he was until the baptism happened. What John is saying here is that he saw that Jesus fulfilled God's word about the Messiah, about the Christ. You see, Messiah and Christ are the same thing. Messiah is the, is the, the Hebrew word, Christ the Greek word, you know, meaning the anointed one. The one who's anointed by God. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Okay, just realize that. That's not his last name. You know, it, 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 it's describing who he is. He is the Christ. He is Messiah. He is the anointed one 
by God. And John saw, even though he had seen Jesus you know, earlier in his life, he saw here at the baptism that Jesus fulfilled God's word. That he indeed was the Messiah. Now, there were plenty of false Christs around at that time. It's it's recorded in, in, in other histories. You know, there are plenty of false messiahs around at that time. John knew Jesus as a person all his life, it seems. They may have even heard about a, a little bit about their miraculous births. Well, Jesus understood that because you see in it when he was 12 years old and was found in the temple, he said, I had to be about my father's business. But we don't know where John's head was, except he didn't quite see it and realize it until then. When he saw Jesus fulfilled God's word is when he could embrace the real Christ. John the Baptist came to know Jesus in a whole new way. Not just as his cousin, but as the Christ. And John's life was never the same again. Let's move on to another encounter. Verse 35. Verse 35 says, again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples when he saw Jesus passing by. He said, look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him saying this and followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked them, what are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and you'll see, he replied. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about 10 in the morning. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. He first found his own brother, Simon, and told him, We have found the Messiah, which means anointed one. And he brought Simon to Jesus. When Jesus saw him, he said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means rock. So here we move into a new day. And John the Baptist is still telling people here. He's still telling people what he knows about Jesus, that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Lamb of God. When John when John first realized that, it seems he didn't stop telling people about that. John had a following. He had his own disciples. He had a following. But he kept talk, talking and pointing and telling about Jesus and telling them who, who Jesus was. John the Baptist is here, it says, with two of his own disciples when Jesus comes by. Now, we don't have any indication that Jesus actually interacted directly with them uh, here during this, you know, on this occasion. Uh, we simply have John's comment pointing out Jesus as the real Christ. Now, the two disciples that it mentions here responded. And it seems these two began to follow Jesus really more out of curiosity rather than a formal commitment at first. It seems now they were curious and they wanted to know more. They wanted to find out more about this one that John, the one who they were following, was talking about. And they wanted to learn and understand more now we're told down in verse 40, uh, we're, we're told there, you know, that um, Andrew was one of the disciples. Now when you compare the other Gospels and you see Andrew, uh, Andrew's name, he is often, most often he is, well, I think I would say always, but I'd have to look at that again before I could say always. He is, he is paired together with John, the author of the Gospel. 
And John, in his gospel, never identifies himself. He refers to himself in another way. Often he says, you know, the one who Jesus loved. You know, I always get a kick out of that. I'm his favorite. Um, but, you know, he, you know he, he doesn't identify himself here. So it seems that it was probably Andrew and John being the other disciple. Now, as disciples of John the Baptist, it seems most likely that they would have been with John the Baptist when Jesus was baptized. Because that's what the disciples did. When I say the disciples here, I'm talking about the disciples of John the Baptist. The disciples of anyone stuck close to their teacher, stuck close to the one they were following. It just seems logical to me that they would have been there when Jesus was baptized. Because that was, in a sense, a big event as John was doing baptisms. And then here comes, you know, Jesus getting baptized. And it seems to me that they would have heard John's word at that time about Jesus. You know, they may very well have been with Jesus the previous day when Jesus identifies him as the Lamb of God. That was a common term. Once he baptized him, he continued to identify him as the Lamb of God here. That loaded term for them. I think it's also, you know, safe to assume that John told his disciples about Jesus in the in-between time that time that we don't have recorded here. Because John, it seems, was always talking then and focusing on Jesus. John's mission, and he knew his mission, was to prepare the way for the Christ. That was John's mission. He knew his mission. He stated it clearly many times. It seems to me logical that he would have told his disciples about it. He had been pretty open about Jesus being the Christ. He wasn't trying to keep him for himself. In fact, he said, he, Jesus, must increase. I, John, must decrease. So it seems very logical to me that Andrew and John would have heard about Jesus before, and yet here they are still following John the Baptist as his disciple until now. And as they're following, Jesus turns and engages these two men. He made it easier for them to embrace him. He made it easier for them to embrace the real Christ. When Jesus turned around, verse 38, when Jesus turned around and noticed them following him, he asked them, what are you looking for? This is a question we all need to ask ourselves. What am I looking for? You know, what are you looking for? We need to ask ourselves that question. We need to ask ourselves that question often. What is my aim? What's my goal? What am I looking for? You know, what am I trying to get out of life? What am I looking for? What this endeavor that I'm involved in right now, what am I looking for? Now, when we ask ourselves that question, we may not always like the answer. We may not always like the answer because some, now some aims are good. You know, some are, some are good, but they're inadequate. We sometimes aim at inadequate things. You know, we want a particular job or we want a promotion or we want recognition. We want, you know, financial security. We want physical safety. Uh, You know, those are all fine goals, but they aim too low. They aim too low. What am I looking for? They ask Jesus where he's staying. Notice his answer, come and you will see. Here we're simply told that they went. What we learn from that, though, is that these men chose to learn more about Jesus. That was their choice. 
They chose to learn more. Jesus turned around and engaged them. He said, and what, you know, it, it, what are you looking for? And they said, where, where are you staying? He says, come, come and find out. Come hang out with me more. Come and let's spend some time together. Come and let's interact. And they chose that they wanted to learn more about Jesus. The invitation's extended. Come and you'll see. Come spend time with Jesus. Come and learn from him. Come and learn of him. Come and learn more. And they chose to do just that. And their lives were never the same again. Somewhere along the way, they began to see Jesus. The real Jesus. For the first time. They began to do life together. And they began to see Jesus. When we begin to do life with Jesus. Not just a Sunday thing. Not just a church day thing. Not just a... Bible study day thing. But when we do everyday life with Jesus, we begin to see him a little bit more, a little bit more clearly. These two men, they they become disciples of Jesus. Two of the 12 that were selected as apostles, a matter of fact, they had a larger group of, of disciples. And then within that larger group, there was a smaller group of 12, which were selected as apostles. These two guys are some of them. John, one of the two, was selected in this what what, what is, seems to be this inner circle of three together with them. Notice it says, Then Andrew tells his brother Simon about finding the Christ. So Simon, Peter, Simon Peter, he chooses to come and learn more about Jesus as well. And his life was never the same again. It's interesting, you know, because he says, you know, that he'll be called Cephas and, and Rock. Some of you have a, a Bible note on that. And things, you know, rock that he'd be that solid pillar that, you know, uh, that was, you know, there that the others could depend on. You read through the Gospels, Peter was anything but that. Peter was the one who was always impetuous. He was the one who was always speaking up. He was the one who was always kind of blurting things out. You know, there at the, at the Mount, and Jesus is transfigured before him on their eyes, and, you know, before their eyes, and, and, you know, there's Moses and Elijah with him, and Peter just doesn't know what to say. He said, let's build some, let's build some little huts. Let's build some tabernacles. Let's hang out. And, uh, you know, he just wasn't getting it. Uh, Peter's the one who comes up to Jesus when Jesus is talking about being crucified, and he says, huh. Oh, Says, you know, he tries to correct him, say, you know, you know, this is a paraphrase, so we have to put dude in there. You know, dude, you know what you're talking about. And Jesus has to look at him and said, Get behind me, Satan. Peter's the one who said, you know, I'll never deny you, and then when when you know time came and he brings out a sword and tries to whack this guy's head off, and the guy ducks and only loses his ear. Uh, you know. And Peter ran along with all the other disciples. And Peter's the one then who, when they come and they say, hey, you were with him, you were one of his. And he says he denied him three times. And it says that he denied him, and the third time he's denying him, he says he's denying him vehemently and calling down curses on himself. And Jesus turns and looks at him. And it says Peter went out and wept bitterly. Luke gives us that detail. I think that was the moment when he saw Jesus again for the first time. Because after that, 
you see a different Peter. Then you see one who became a pillar in the church. Then you see one who got more stability in his walk and in his life. And as you read through the book of Acts, you see that, you know, you see that unfold. His life was never the same again. Andrew brought, he, Andrew was one of those guys, he brought others to Jesus as well. I mean, when I say that, I mean literally brought them uh, to Jesus. Uh, here he brings his brother, Simon Peter. Later in John chapter 6, Andrew is the one who brings the boy, you know, with the five barley loaves and the two fish that Jesus then uses to, to feed, you know, over 5,000 with this boy's lunch. And then later in John chapter 12, Andrew uh, bring some Greeks to see Jesus. There are some Greeks there. It says who wanted to see Jesus, and Andrew is the one who steps in um, on there as well. But um, you know, bringing people to help them to get to that place where they can see and embrace the real Christ for themselves. Let's move on to the next day, uh, verse forty-three. I know it's the next day because the first three words say the next day. Uh, the next day, he decided to leave for Galilee. And I just choose to believe the Bible. So anyway, uh, the next day he decided to leave for Galilee. Jesus found Philip and told him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. And so did the prophets. Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Nathanael replied. Come and see, Philip answered Then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, Here is a true Israelite. No deceit is in him. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Before Philip called you, when you were still under the fig tree, I saw you, Jesus answered. Rabbi, Nathanael replied, You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus responded to him, Do you believe only because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Uh, Then he said, I assure you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So here we have, you know, Jesus comes and he approaches Philip and he calls Philip to follow him. Now, we're not given a lot of other details. I'm assuming Philip must have had some earlier encounter with Jesus because he realizes here that Jesus is the one that Moses and the prophets wrote about. The only way he would know that Jesus is the one that Moses and the prophets wrote about is because he saw and heard about how Jesus life was living his life at that time. And he could see here's one Moses and prophets wrote about. Now, some people don't take much convincing because... Well, they're smarter than some of the others of us. And, you know, they, they see and they understand a little quicker. Philip, it seems, understood a little quicker. Now, maybe Andrew, you know, and Peter's decision influenced him. It says they were from the same town. We, we, again, we don't know. We're not told. Uh, you know, but uh, Philip embraced Jesus because he realized Jesus fulfilled Scripture. And Philip embraced him and his life was never the same again. Just as John the Baptist realized the same thing, that Jesus fulfilled God's word, Philip realized that same thing. Now, Philip, it says, finds Nathaniel and he tells him about Jesus. Now, Nathaniel's initial response was not, was not positive. In fact, it was dismissive. Some, you could even say it was derogatory. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Can anything good come from the south side? You see, we have some of those same thinkings in our mind. Can anything good come from, I was going to say Philadelphia, I don't know. Uh, 
But you see, we have, we all have these, we all have these same, we have, we have these same thoughts in our mind about different places and different, you know, different people, maybe different ethnicities. And, and so when we hear something, you know, we, we, we can have maybe not those same words, but we have the, you know, the, the, the same, you know, that same type of response. Can anything, you know, can anything good come from that? Now, see, fortunately, we can go beyond our initial response. In fact, I would tell you, I would tell you that God wants us to go beyond our initial response. He wants us to know more. He wants us to learn more. He wants us to go deeper with him. He, you know, he, he wants us to, to know and to understand now, it seems Nathaniel only went to see because Philip told him. You know, Philip challenged him to come and see Jesus for himself. And, and Nathaniel responds there. And then Jesus speaks to Nathaniel to let Nathaniel know that he knew him. Not just his name, but he knew his heart. Verse 47, he says, here is a true Israelite. No deceit is in him. And then Nathaniel asks how Jesus knew this, and Jesus responds to let Nathaniel know that he knew his needs as well. Verse 48, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. You see, under the fig tree, to them, that, that's a phrase that, that comes up in the Old Testament. And it, it talks about, you know, about a, a, that good place for Israel, you know, that place of comfort and that place. Of, and under the fig tree was a place that they would sit to study and to think and to contemplate. And here you have a picture where as, as he is coming, you know, as Nathaniel is coming toward him, he says, here is a true Israelite. No deceit is found in him. A true Israelite. One who, you know, one who no deceit is found in him. Do you recall, just pretend like you do because it will make me feel better as a, as, a, as a pastor. When I was, when we were going through Genesis and, you know, we were looking at, we were looking at Jacob, and Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Jacob's name is Deceiver. And his name was changed to Israel. God, the Prince of God, God's chosen. It depends on whose translation you want to look at for that word. But his name was changed from Deceiver. He says, here, here, is, is, is a true Israelite. No deceit is found in him. And then, and then, you know, look, look at what he says uh, to that in, in verse 51. I assure you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jacob, when he was running from God, gets to that place of Bethel. Well, it wasn't Bethel at that time. And he sleeps, and if you recall, he had a dream and saw what? A ladder, a stairway, going to heaven, and what was happening? And the angels were ascending and descending on that ladder. We're not told what Nathaniel was thinking about under that tree, when he was under this fig tree where he was thinking and studying and contemplating. We're not told what he was. But what we can see here is that Jesus touched Nathanael's heart and he touched his needs. And Nathanael was never the same again. I grew up believing that Jesus is real. I would tell you I even grew up believing that he was God. Now, I even, I even went to church. I went through 
you know, I went through religious ceremonies. I believed God was important. But I didn't feel I really knew him because, after all, he's God. And there was just such a, a gulf there that, that I was content to leave it there. And it wasn't until after I was challenged to come and see for myself that things began to change. It wasn't until uh, somebody told me, maybe not literally, but just as these guys were told, come and see. The very first Bible study I did was entitled, Who is Jesus? I felt I knew. I felt I knew the answer to that. And so we went through that study and I really just didn't pay attention. I was kept, I, I, I was continued, they, they, I, was, I continued to get the offer, you know, to come and see. To come and learn and hear more about Jesus. You know, I was invited to, I was invited to go to, to churches where, they, where the gospel was preached. I was in, the, in the, that Bible study, continued in that Bible study where we heard about Christ. And what happened is I began to see Jesus in a whole new way. I began to see him clearly for the first time. I was able to embrace the real Christ. Not to embrace my religion. Not to embrace what, you know, what, what others had said, but to be able to see for myself. And my life has never been the same since. I have never regretted following Jesus. Never. I have never, ever regretted following him. Not once. A common thread in each of these six men here that we see in these verses in John, you know, one was uh, for the first time, you know, for the first time that they had come personally to see Jesus as he really is. They came to see him as he really is, and their lives were never the same again. This Advent season, don't get caught up in the holiday and miss Jesus. You know, sing songs, enjoy the celebrations, but don't leave Jesus as that baby in a manger. That's a phrase that, you know, like we were singing that one song, Away in a Manger. That's... That's one of the songs I learned as a kid, and I thought it was great, but it's one of the songs that just kind of rubs my fur the wrong way, you know, about the little Lord Jesus and stuff. It's great, you know, in a sentimentality, and if it's one of your favorite songs, it's okay. Just grow up. No. Um, (laughs) Just kidding you. Just kidding you. It is a good song. It's, It's a fine song. But don't get stuck on looking at him as this baby in a manger. He is so much more than that. He is so much. Embrace the real Christ. Embrace the real Christ. And your life will never be the same. Let's pray.